Welcome to Apple at Work, a podcast all about Apple and the enterprise ecosystem. I'm Bradley Chambers, your host. This week, a very, very special guest from Jump Cloud. Gregory, would you like to introduce yourself? Bradley, it's good to hear your voice, my friend, and thank you for being on the show. Um, and we're not in person like we were, I guess, last time we saw each other was probably at JNUC in, in the great white north of Minneapolis. So thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad um, glad to have met you at JNUC. JNUC was a lot of fun. It's the For those of you that aren't familiar with JNUC, that's JAMP's annual user conference it was in minneapolis uh, last last fall or last november and this uh, next year it's moving to san diego so it'll be much warmer so uh, tell us what you do at jump cloud i guess i can be construed as the chief bottle washer around here <laughs> I, I joke uh, um by title i'm the company's uh chief strategy officer which basically means that I do a lot of different and varied business initiatives um, at the, you know, think of it at the board level and all the way down to the rank and file sort of project level. Um, retracing history, I was, the first, I was the person who launched the product with, at the time, a very, very small team of people here in Colorado at Jump Cloud. Uh, we launched our directory as a service in September of 2014 as generally a cloud-based uh, access control and device management system uh, akin to an Active Directory, but in a much more modern uh, sort of progressive and cloud-based way. Um, and uh, yeah, so day-to-day -day now I am working on team formation, product strategy, corp dev, biz dev, partnering strategy, all of these kinds of things and developing teams to help me on you know, each of those missions. Well, so the reason I wanted you on today is I wanted to start the show by looking at the past, present, and future of identity in the enterprise with how it relates to our devices. I mean, if you, anybody that's say 40 and above, like it, the world has changed a lot on how we authenticate to devices. Uh, and I think back to, I started working full time when I was 21. And just even then in the mid 2000s, it has changed a lot since then, the last 15 years. So, Kind of take us back to late '90s, early 2000s. What did the what did identity and the enterprise look like? It's a it, let's kind of yes rewind the clock and we'll kind of walk you through. Generally speaking, it's sort of like the evolution of business and and how the employee base computed. Um, so let's set our clocks back to roughly 19 the, the cusp of 1999 and 2000. Um, this was really the sort of the launch of a product by a well-known company up in Redmond, Washington, Microsoft, who at the time was cornering the market uh, on an operating system, Windows naturally, uh, and developing a much more progressive and lean way to institute a corporate based network uh, at, you know, when you really rewind the clock further than 99 and 2000 into the early nineties and late eighties, companies like Novell and, and others that had developed X 500 based uh, directory services and all the networks that connected workstations, you know, were in Diragor. Uh, Microsoft came along with a, a mechanism to highly commoditize 
operating system deployment through a series of vendors, Dell computers, you know, Hewlett Packard, et cetera. And it was frankly very inexpensive to set up a corporate network um, that leveraged this operating system. So by 99, 2000, when NT was making its transition into proper Windows domain services, this was really sort of instituted in Windows 2000 server. We really saw at that time what you, Bradley, were referring to as sort of the device's relationship to uh, you know, authentication and getting onto, generally speaking, a corporate network. The, the interesting part about all of that is the internet wasn't a thing. Networking and telecommunicating and, and you know, generally the, the internet as a backbone of telecommunications existed but certainly not like you and I know it today, you know, where browsers and can frankly access virtually anything we could possibly dream of. Um, in, in it now a days allowing a human to work from wherever they want, even on a mountaintop with a cell phone uh, and a connection to a satellite, right? That those concepts just didn't exist in, in the nineties. Um, certainly, you know, when I was cutting my teeth uh, in the early nineties, just graduating school and getting in my first software engineering jobs, so what that really meant was when a worker would enter in their brick and mortar location, that frankly was the domain. And when they walked to their typical desk with a big fat monitor sitting on it, nothing like we have today, and underneath their desk was a tower, like an actual desktop machine, uh, and that machine was connected through serpentine sort of ethernet and that Ethernet went to an actual physical closet on premise. And inside that closet were other Windows desktop sort of servers uh, that were basically allowing uh, this thing called directory services or active directory as we know it today. That was the reality of what you know the, the identity was. You would, a worker would walk up to a machine on a Microsoft managed network, control, alt, delete, enter in their credentials, and behold, everything at their fingertips was there that Microsoft could typically provide them. Windows file servers, printers, the local files that they were using for their office suite, Microsoft Exchange, which was interconnected as a service into the Microsoft domain service. Microsoft created a beautiful, homogenous way for an employee to do work. And that was, you know, the reality. But as we'll see, Bradley, like the Internet changed everything. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and you know, kind of thinking back through that, that actually sounds much better from an IT perspective. Like the, 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 the convenience of it is very, very nice. And I remember in being in offices where people would complain, you know, they had these things called like local profiles or roaming profiles and like roaming's ones are like you mentioned that would follow you around the building. And like, that was fantastic. It's kind of almost like what, what Chrome OS is today, but like on the Microsoft environment and people would complain because it'd take like two to three minutes to log in and then IT would like look and they had like 10 gigs of Again, I know 10 gigs doesn't sound like a lot today, but like imagine 2005, they would have like 10 gigs of digital photos and IT's like, well, look, you can either delete these or stop complaining about how long it takes to log in. Um, totally. But like that, 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 again, that, that, that world was a world where Microsoft controlled everything in the enterprise. And if you're 
I'm, I always say that IT is in the business of eliminating variables, and that environment allowed you to eliminate a lot of variables. Uh, you knew what people were using. You knew where they were at. You knew what security policies they had, and it kind of worked. It, it, it really worked. And yeah, there were, as you described, you know, call it just sort of some clumsiness, but, um, you know, that it, it takes to glue together uh, sort of a, a network like this, especially when, you know, the advent of actual laptop computers came on board and those had to be connected to what it felt like was a domain through VPN. So it could access local files and all these kinds of things. Yeah, it was clumsy, but that was the extent, that was the horizon of technology and what, you know, sort of, you know, a, as we refer to here at GemCloud, now we're, we're witnessing a domainless domain. You know what I mean? There is no brick and mortar boundary anymore. The internet and conditions on, you know, the type of safety you want for your employees is the domain, right? But I, I think to your point, you know, what Microsoft did very elegantly was create a homogenous way to plug and play and create and control a, a, an enterprise. Uh, and to this day, its dominance is still there. I mean, if you are a company of record, meaning you have been around for you know, 7, 10, 12 years or more, obviously, um, you have a substantial workforce um, and uh, you have been on this platform and growing with it, this is a, a beautiful scenario for Microsoft and it's, it's really a great strategy. And Microsoft absolutely has their own strategy to lift and shift their customers, their Microsoft customers, to their new enterprise-focused cloud solutions, i.e. Azure and Azure AD, et cetera. Um, and that's a good place for Microsoft. But let's you know, toggle over to the other side of the world, um, companies that weren't born at that time period. They were born in the cloud. They were born with the internet as its domain. They were born with Azure, or uh, I apologize, with AWS compute in the cloud. They were born with G Suite as their primitive identity backbone. They were born with MacBooks as their, their employees' favored sort of choice of compute. Um, in that sentence, there is no Microsoft. Right. So what do companies like that born in the cloud, sort of more, you know, uh, young, progressive scaling startups? And when I say scaling startups, they could be, you know, many, many hundreds, if not thousands of employees. But Microsoft really isn't the, the, the center of their IT universe. It's just different. But you had, you know, Bradley asked about more of the history. We went, I feel like we went from, you know, what it was to now what it is. But in this interstitial period, uh, between you know Microsoft's you know pre-internet dominance to the way companies many companies look and feel today, lots you know got us here. And generally speaking, you know um, you had companies like when you sort of fast forward to 2003. You know we started with Windows 2000 in that time period. Move forward 2003 and four, and you are starting to see companies. I remember, here's a good anecdote. I, I literally am a young software engineer professional type in San Francisco working at a startup in, you know, 99, 2000, 2001, et cetera. And I literally am going to lunch on Market Street and I see a, a building that, you know, the day before had windows and everything. The next day I'm walking to lunch and this building's windows are all papered over. Um, it was like this stealth company and 
there was a one symbol on the paper that wrapped around this this you know street level series of windows and it was the symbol of it's like the ghostbuster symbol with the word software um as if like no software and here i am as a software professional i'm like the hell is this like who would dare go into san francisco into the hornet's nest of software and put in a deflammatory like you know an inflammatory uh statement like you know anti-software what was that i don't know if you bradley remember what that symbol meant or was do you recall that i don't that was salesforce and that was benioff so what that meant was it didn't mean no software of course it it, it what it meant was you don't have to buy and install software anymore. You can subscribe to services that of course are driven by software, but up in this thing that we now call the cloud. And what that really meant was key critical services like a CRM system in the case of Salesforce. How could that possibly leave the brick and mortar of a you know a corporation think about this in 2000 or 2001 and be put up away from the the security of an IT team in a place where no one can feel it and touch it and how could that really happen you know and what that did to IT professionals was create this the first instances of what we now call shadow IT and how that came to pass was like you know, it, it, people who like you know rogue marketing or sales teams could put you know find a credit card and and small departmental budgets, and pay for this service called Salesforce, and you'd build user accounts and identities in this new thing up in the space you know where no IT person can touch it, and that was a problem because they had corporate uh, needs to secure like that actually existed you know back in the day. And there was no semblance. There was a big chasm between corporate domain or on-premise managed identity through an Active Directory system uh, and this thing up in space. So what happened? You start to see the evolution of protocols and companies that support those protocols to do specific jobs. Example, Ping Identity, amazing company, now a public company. In fact, another Colorado company cut their teeth at this concept of identity federation. They embraced and, you know, basically helped promote the protocol called SAML, S-A-M-L for the non-initiated on your podcast. And in effect, created a bridging technologies to enable IT teams to have the security of, you know, one identity that would of course be managed in Active Directory, but be able to securely authenticate and control access to these new non-Microsoft things up in space, you know, you know, this thing Salesforce. And you can watch and see the sort of propagation of these types of companies and protocols, all that created a world of bridging. It was like the tunneling. Everybody wanted a way to build an ecosystem product that just connected to Active Directory. Any large scale quote, system, ERP system, or uh, supply, you know, uh, chain of supply system, all these things expected in Active Directory, and they were built for on-premise. But when the internet changed, and most specifically, here we are in 9to5Mac, when the concept of Mac really became a thing for the enterprise, and 
you know, then all bets are off. It's like, how the hell do we have these disparate non-Microsoft heterogeneous resources and still secure like what we have as our, you know, inner sanctum, this active directory. So companies like, look at Jamf, you know, they're a, a, a great partner and they're a phenomenal company and they did one thing extremely well, which was, you know, built a consultancy initially to help people connect and manage Mac in Microsoft enterprises. And, you know, that became a thing. Look at that. They productized, became a big business. You look at Okta, a $15 billion value business, amazing, very similar to Ping's journey, but they even improved upon what Ping had done for the enterprise, made it even a better user experience. So you watched, you know, legions and legions of companies just create additive and improvement solutions to make Microsoft IT you know, sort of backbones like Active Directory, make them more manageable or tolerable for the new internet, you know, uh, types of products or new operating systems like Mac or Linux. Do you remember a product called Snurdware? Have you ever heard of that? No. So Snurdware was... That may be one that had missed my missed my radar. So Snurdware was a product that would like get... It, deep install on on OS 10 at the time that made the Mac compatible with Exchange email. Because if you remember, like in this 04, 05 time period, really even 06, the Mac, you had only way you could get to Exchange email was if the IMAP protocol was turned on. Well, nobody did that because nobody wanted to. Uh, and, and, and you remember when that changed was when the iPhone came out and CEOs got it and they told their IT team, make this work with my email. And then they had to turn on IMAP. And to me, that was the tipping point on everything uh, kind of from the old way to the new way. Because then IT went from we're just focused on control to now we're focused on enablement. And they had to enable their network to evolve to work with the CEO's iPhone. Of course, then history went on and Apple got um, licensed ActiveSync and Obviously, every Mac, iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, all that supports Exchange natively now. But at the time, that was a big deal. And and that, to me, again, was that shift from IT now has to figure out how to be open and not just about control. And I think that's ultimately, from a security perspective, been good because I'm sure there were a lot of IT departments that their security was based on their control, but not actually their security, if that makes sense. Absolutely. It does make sense. Uh, one asterisk to your story, and you're absolutely right about iPhone, but there was a predecessor at BlackBerry with BlackBerry Server, and that was really, that became like the the first, um, how do you say it, like the first sort of intruder to the pristineness of the Microsoft stack, and 2007 came along, iPhone blew that up. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. But uh, to your point about, um, that access control, it, basically, it, uh, what IT teams started to um, basically get signed up for was attestations. Like, how can you prove that when a particular piece of software or some service or some system needs to be introduced to the enterprise, um, how can we attest that it is secure? And, you know, the core of which is what is its access control function? Can it be mapped to the corporate identity store? And that could be LDAP, it could be Active Directory or whatever, right? Um, 
but that is really, that became a thing. Microsoft, when it was homogenous, not a problem. The moment that you had this multitude of vendors coming in, big problem. So you're spot on. But I hadn't heard of that service. That's interesting. Yeah, they, now it got, what was something? I think it was Leopard. It became incompatible and it just never came back. I'll have to, I'll put the press release yeah. in the show notes of when it was announced. It was announced in like 04 and it worked well. I remember using it. Um, before we move on, we're going to take a quick sponsor break and uh, thank the folks for making this show possible. Apple at Work is sponsored by Jamf. Jamf, the standard for Apple in the enterprise, extends the legendary Apple experience that people love to businesses, schools, and government organizations through its software and Jamf Nation, which is the largest online community of Apple IT admins in the world. 35,000 customers from more than 100 countries entrust Jamf to help them to succeed with Apple. They have a growing product line with Jamf Pro, Jamf Now, Jamf Connect, Jamf Protect, and Jamf School. So regardless of your needs, they've got a product to fit it. They are in lockstep with Apple on operating system and feature releases, providing same-day support for iOS and macOS and tvOS. Their products are built exclusively for Apple. To learn more, visit jamf.com slash 9to5mac. Again, that's jamf.com slash 9to5mac. Thanks to Jamf for sponsoring this episode of Apple at Work. And we're back. So we kind of talked about you know, the past, where things used to be, how really it's gotten better. Where do you see the future of identity going in a world where employees might bring five devices to work, in a world where we've got AWS, we've got G Suite, we've got Active Directory in the cloud. All these things are happening. And, I, and I'll say one caveat you know, when we were looking at networking in the early 2000s, it was impossible to do it without Microsoft. And then networking in 2020, it's possible to do it without Microsoft. And to me, that's kind of crazy. But Microsoft, I don't think is irrelevant in networking because they certainly have their place and they've done an incredible job um, with Office and with Azure AD. But where do you think we're headed from here? I, listen, awesome question, and it's where very specifically uh, I am spending most of my, quote, strategy time and helping our product teams um, think about architecting the future of JumpCloud. In fact, spoiler alert, much of which is in flight or has been delivered today. But let, let's go and like round out a little bit about kind of your, your assertion and your positioning statement. Um, lots has changed. First and foremost... Yes, companies exist without any Microsoft infrastructure. This company, my company, you know, uh, has hundreds of employees. They're the only Microsoft compute that we have is Office, you know, that exists on some people's boxes. Everything is Amazon. We, you know, uh, you know, we have our own domain, which is signed by an external cloud-based third party. We use uh, we're Google Shop, so Google to the core, you know, for our collaboration suite. We, um, you know, and just goes on and on. We all, you know, principally use Macs um, and uh, many of our engineers use Lenovo and Ubuntu on Lenovo and finance. Some of them use Windows 10 machines. So it's all kind of mixed, mixed and match. But IT and identity control clearly done through our product. But, you know, in, in back in the day, you're right. Microsoft was responsible for DHCP and DNS as part, you know, in addition to the identity store. So that's what, you know, window, a proper Windows server setup does. So it knows the machines that are on the networks. 
it knows your domain, it knows like who is authenticating and it's a perfect sort of harmonious triangulation of security. When you look at the now um, in what is the current reality of organizations, especially CloudFord or you know, born in the cloud companies, the concepts of zero trust or what Google calls beyond corp are very, very real. And to us and to me in particular, it is in, in, at its most you know, basic premise, it is about the device. It is about your MacBook or your Windows com- computer or whatever. This is where the work happens or the multitude of devices that you have. So the first premise of all of this is, can a company trust a device? And there's many different ways of like, when I, when I assert or position or you know, state that, it really comes down to, um, can the company trust where work, corporate work is happening, you know? And, a good example of that is like um, we all got super heady over the concept of BYOD, you know, sure, because startups were like really cash strapped and they didn't want to buy, you know, pallets of MacBooks to give to their new employees. So it was frankly cheaper if they could stipend an employee a couple hundred bucks or, you know, 500 bucks and just bring your own machine and compute from that. That was dumb. <laughs> I mean, it sounded great from on the balance sheet, but from a corporate, you know, st- uh, security policy, lots of bad stuff can occur. The, the least of which is the assurance that the machine where the uh, employee, even a non-nefarious employee is doing their work, isn't infested with, you know, keystroke monitors or malware or anything that is, you know, can pop them, right? Those are vector uh, and surfaces of attack that, uh, you know, a non-managed machine, you know, are, they're just ripe for that. So I think corporations are really understanding, you know what, BOID, probably not the smartest thing. So we need concepts to either A, you know, distribute our own device or B, you know, know in some way that we can trust the device. And that comes in lots of different formats. Sometimes it's certificates, sometimes it's agents, sometimes it's conditional access that, is set on you know cloud-based compute types of you know infrastructure, whether it's your Gmail account or your Azure service or whatever, to only allow work to occur on a machine that is known to the company, right? So that's when I you know a few minutes ago I was talking about the domainless domain. This is really all in part of it. I, I should be able to take a machine that the company trusts and go anywhere on earth and. I should be able to conditionally be honored, you know, and and verified that uh, I can get access to stuff or not, or completely denied. So, uh, you know, when we think about identity, we're sort of shifting the polarization. It used to be, you know, identity is, you know, this monolithic thing. It's this, you know, protected Active Directory domain forest on premise or, you know, hosted in our own private cloud. And that's like the center of the universe and computers bow to it. Now it's the inverse, like companies like ours and others, but you know, Jump Cloud in particular are looking at the device as the system. It's, it's the gateway to resources. So identity is a function, like you start to see the blur of 
you know, a corporate user's identity and then the device that they are choosing to gain access to stuff with. And that's where the battleground is. So ensuring that, you know, where this work is occurring is highly protected. And that's a function of, you know, again, uh, in repeating one line, you know, is the machine trusted? Is there a cert or an agent on the box? Two, does the machine have some set of security policies, what Microsoft would call GPOs, um, Mac uh, would call mobile config profiles, um, otherwise known as MDM? Like, is there a method of controlling, you know, the configuration of the machine? Is there ability to, for an admin to gain access to that machine in some way uh, and control it? Um, is the machine full disk encrypted, i.e. is File Vault 2 turned on in the world of Mac, et cetera, and all these sort of, you know, sort of things about the machine. So when it all said and done, it comes down to identity is a function of the posture of the device and the risk assessment that a directory can go through to allow the user to commence work or disallow the user to commence work. It's sort of, it gets down into that almost binary phase. Like uh, we need to verify, but or strike that. We need to trust you, but we're gonna verify that it's really you. Multi-factor is a part of that whole posturing as well. So that's the way, you know, you know, when we see like the more progressive kind of approaches, and of course, you know, Junk Cloud is one of, a, of many of these kinds of vendors that are doing parts of it. We're coming at it from, our definition of what a directory is supposed to do, it really is about the device, not just about a cloud-based service to authenticate against. The device matters in the relationship to identity. Yeah, it, we, past was securing the building, and, and in the future it's about securing the device and authenticating the user to the device in a painless sort of way. I, I kind of look at it as like a home security. You know, obviously it's great if you have armed guards at every door and you have to do a retina scan to get in your house. That's great, but very inconvenient. More mm -hmm. invisible security is if your iPhone automatically turns off your alarm and unlocks your door, you're still secure, but you're secure through an authenticated device and that device is secure in the process. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean... I can't stress that enough. And I would actually add in one more thing, which is multi-factor. Like, is there a way to really ensure, remember I said the trust but verify part, you know, username and password, even a biometric like thumbprint, um, you know, that is end user convenience. And that's a good thing. You know, it's that whole blur between security and convenience. You know, we want our, especially our customers to be, you know, have a convenient experience. But, we really got to know it's you. <laughs> so use Duo or use TOTP or something to just verify that it's really you. Uh, and then we really know that your active session inside of your device is legit and it's really you. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's something you have and it's something uh, that you know. You know. 
Yeah. That's uh, right. That's so, right. Well, uh, Gregory, thanks for coming on the show today, kicking off this new Apple at Work podcast. Uh, I love Jump Cloud. I think Jump Cloud for an Apple-focused enterprise is something that is, if our listeners, if you're not aware of them, you should go check them out. I'll give you just one really cool use case that I love that you can do with Jump Cloud is if you use G Suite, you can use G Suite and Jump Cloud together to authenticate to Radius for your corporate Wi-Fi using your G Suite credentials. And to me, that is just, again, another way you can kind of turnkey your employee onboarding. Um, so yeah, if you're not familiar with Jump Cloud, definitely go check them out. We'll have a link to their website um, in the show notes that you can check out in your, uh, in your podcast app. Uh, Gregory, any final parting words? Listen, I want to say congrats to your new podcast. So uh, I'm honored that you would have me on as one of your first guests. And uh, I'm looking forward to doing this in person sometime soon, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll, have to, we'll have to do that at the uh, next uh, Jamped User Conference. So that's a great point. So everybody, thanks for listening to this first episode. I would love it. If you like the show, go on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, leave us a review. Uh, if you use Overcast, give it a star. That helps new users find the show. If you, you know, if you, um, if you have some colleagues, you know, share the show with them over iMessage. That'll help us grow the show. The plan is to do every other week about 25 to 30 minutes. I know everybody's busy, so uh, we'll, we'll keep it short. Um, but again, any links that we talked about will be in the show notes. And, uh, and we'll talk to everybody next time. Have a great week, everybody.